Are you curious on how much your business is worth? Get your free no obligation offer from Open Store at open.store. Lindsay, thank you for being here. We got Lindsay today on DTC Pod from Byte. I'm your host, Ramon, uh, CEO and founder of Trend, joined by my co-host, Blaine, uh, COO and and co-founder of OmniPanel. Lindsay, thank you for being here today. I can't wait to hear more about your story, how you bootstrap Byte, where you guys are today. So I'll let you take it away to put the spotlight on you so you can, you know, tell us a little bit more about you and Byte. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, thanks so much for having me on. This is uh, so fun. And I'm really excited to kind of get into, you know, how I started and where we are now and and where we're hoping to go. So, you know, I started Byte with um, $6,000 in savings and I was pressing tablets in my living room. I, uh, before I was an entrepreneur, I was into, I was a a TV producer. And so I was traveling like every other week, I was on a different plane going somewhere for work. And uh, I was going through these little plastic toothpaste tubes and they just felt, they felt really wasteful. You know, I'd always been really passionate about the environment and passionate about conservation. I was refilling my little shampoo bottles and my, my, you know, face wash bottles. But here I was throwing out this kind of thick piece of plastic every week. And so I wanted to look into what the alternatives were and turned out everything was either packaged in plastic or had ingredients that I couldn't get behind. And so I started uh, like, literally like on a reddit thread started learning about chemistry and tableting and trying to figure out how i could make a toothpaste tablet that was entirely plastic free so no tube nothing like that and it, it comes in a glass jar with a, with compostable refill pouches so i started it really just to to fit a need that i had i wanted to be able to continue to do my job as a tv producer but you know to have less of an impact on the planet and you know being able to be able to get plastic out of my routine and it was from there that I ended up being like, well, I've invested a significant amount of money trying to figure this out in a like amount of time. I, you know, I had bought a tableting machine, a bunch of different ingredients. I was like, I might as well sell these things online. And uh, that was kind of the beginning of the business, just opening up a Shopify store and an Etsy store and trying to sell these weird toothpaste tablets online. <laughs> So this was, I started playing around with the formulas in 2017, but then really launched, like I, when I say launch the brand, I mean like I pressed like upload to iPhone photos on a Shopify site in 2018. So 2018 is when we were for sale. So. And what, what did the, like, what did the 1.0 of Byte look like at the time? Like what was the first product and what was, what were you uploading to Shopify in 2018? <laughs> Really terrible photos. Um, so the, the the tablets actually looked remarkably similar. They're just like these little white tablets. I actually have some with me right now. So I know if you're listening, you can't see it, but if you're if you're watching, you can. So this is our one ounce bottle. It's a little glass bottle. It has an aluminum lid, and then inside are a bunch of. I mean, it basically looks like little Smarties, right? Like little little white tablets and so they're made with you know no preservatives no harsh chemicals none of the bad no sodium lauryl sulfite none of the bad stuff and uh i would literally press these out in my living room from a machine and then like put them into the bottles and like put you know put the lid on and put the put the uh label on and then ship it out to customers right so like that was the very very beginning of this and um i was selling them i would go to travel events here in LA. I would go to zero waste events here in LA, vegan events. I, I lived a, a low waste vegan lifestyle for a long time. So I was going to these events anyway. And then I would try to like talk to people about my, my product that I had made. So yeah, that's uh, that was kind of the beginning. <laughs> 
Amazing. And tell me a little bit about like the, the form factor of the product. So you said glass jar, it's basically, it's almost like a mint that you put in your mouth. So for the listeners, just to have a little bit of context. So when you put that mint in your mouth, it's basically like the equivalent of if you would like taken a tube of toothpaste, squeezed out a pea side thing, put it on your toothbrush and start brushing. It's the same sort of idea. You take the mint, you put it in your mouth and you start brushing. Is that right? Exactly. You take it in there, you, you pop it in your mouth, and then you bite down a bunch of times. It's going to turn into powder. And then you just take a wet toothbrush. And then when you brush at the powder, there's actually a, um, a, a coconut-based surfactant, a foaming agent in there that's going to foam up. And once you get that happening, it, it's exactly like regular toothpaste. So it's going to feel exactly, you know, it, it it's all foamy and minty fresh. And then you just brush your teeth like regular, like normal. And so one of the best reviews that we get kind of consistently from customers is, you know, it was weird at first, but now I'm obsessed. They're like, it was weird, you know, it took me a few times to get used to, but I'll never go back. And I think, you know, the reason is we don't use glycerin, we don't use, um, you know, artificial flavors. So once you kind of get used to the clean feeling of just using these way more premium ingredients in a, in a way, more like cleaner form factor honestly it's not gonna you don't get it all over your sink you don't get it all it's not gonna explode in your bag uh it you're just like wait why why didn't we always just use dry toothpaste tablets like this doesn't make any sense um and so yeah that's uh it's like these yeah little white white uh white tablet that you pop in your mouth you bite down a bunch of times start brushing with a wet toothbrush and there you go you've been doing this i think that i think that's so funny because like out of all the products that we use in our daily lives like toothpaste strikes me as one of the worst user experiences you can imagine because no one likes getting to the end of the tube of the toothpaste and you're like rolling it up or you're like squeezing it hard you never know how much you have left like it's something i think about a lot a lot so i'm super pumped to try bite but um one thing i always love is just the just the concept of like taking these products that people use every day that just have these awful user experiences and like reinventing them so i think that's something that's like really cool um and i'm so it's glad. like toothpaste like you buy it and it makes you work too like you you know <laughs> your mirror is like loaded with toothpaste like you know uh -huh. your sink and then even if you clean it you know your toothbrush it's still gonna leak some into the toothbrush holder and it's just like it, we're just buying this thing that's super like like blaine said super outdated experience Wait, there's like entire reddit threads of like couples like getting in fights over like should you go from the bottom of the toothpaste or the middle of the toothpaste you know it's like there's like this whole like thing it's like you know like a relationship freaking issue you know so yeah i think it's toothpaste toothpaste i feel like had been ripe for innovation like you know it, it, it's, a, it's a really funny thing to talk about but it's actually you know business 101 is don't try to get people to change their habits you know what i'm saying like and that's why i think no one had touched toothpaste for so long is that the common sense in business in general is like don't ask people to do things they're not used to don't ask people to change you know something they've been doing every single day twice a day and like you're kind of like trying to move a rock up a mountain and luckily for me it's like i don't have a business background so i didn't know that you know and i was like you know well i was like toothpaste sucks like i i don't like using it i don't like using you know like this this tablet is way better um, I like it better. I feel like there's going to be enough people, you know, in the world that could want to, you know, have something that's better too. Let's give this a shot. And then little did I know that this would also be kind of the beginning of the zero waste movement really getting a foothold, especially online, on Instagram, on Facebook. And we had a product for them. And I think that that was something that was like really important too. It was the right product at the right time in this white space that no one had touched because it was like this, you know, weird product that asked people to change their, to change their habits. And then we were there being like, Hey, yeah, we have, we have the product exactly for you. 
And then how did, how did you cross, you know, like having to do that education for breaking those habits? You know, a person visits your website, um, you know, you have us on a podcast in the audience here for an hour, but a website visitor, you only have so much time to really explain to them how to break a habit that like, you know, they've been doing their entire lives and even much less on an ad. So what were some of the most successful ways that you were able to overcome that education? Yeah, that's a really good question, Ramon. And that's something that it, we take, like, I really feel like that separates the brands that can execute and brands that can't, right? And so I feel like little did I know that being a TV producer where it was unscripted, I, I worked in, and I also did branded integration where it was my job to take these really complex uh things and break them down so everyone can understand and be entertained, right? So that's like, I was basically just doing what I had been doing in TV for the past however many years, but now to a cause that I really care about. So like, how do I, how do I explain, um, you know, the complexities of, you know, why all, like all the issues with tooth, you know, like, okay, so one of the things that we did that I think was incredibly impactful is, you know, a lesson from TV is it has to be visual. It has to be visual. So how do you tell the story about toothpaste tubes? Okay, well, a billion toothpaste tubes are thrown out every single year. More than that, over a billion tubes are thrown out every year. Yeah, but cool, I can't wrap my head around that, right? Like if I was a TV producer, I'd be like, I don't care about that stat. How do I see it? So that's what we actually did the math. We were like, okay, the volume of a toothpaste tube is X. How many Empire State Buildings would that be? And so we were like, that's 50 Empire State Buildings every single year and so and actually when we were on shark tank they fact checked it because they were like this is insane and they found they were like oh my god you guys are right like this is exactly like what a million dude and so that was kind of the the idea of being like facts you can't wrap your head around it you have to make it visual and so that's what we do every little piece of storytelling is how to make it visual how do we make someone care and then you know kind of going from there so that's that's what you do and 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 just like really understanding and appreciating that and and not you know and not thinking that's a bad thing we're all busy we're all the thousand things going on and if you can't get your point across like to your audience or to your customer like that's on you you know and so and we take it really seriously and we like to try to you know figure that out and yeah i think it's a fun it's a fun puzzle um so lindsay you mentioned uh that you guys were on shark tank what was that like what was the process like and what stage were you guys at in the company when you guys went on so that was super early on in the company, honest. So we we shot it in 2019, aired 2020. We had gone viral at the end of 2018. So like this was, it was super early um, and it was amazing. And I think, you know, something that I really took away from the whole Shark Tank experience is that anybody who has a business, whether you're going on Shark Tank or not, whether you're pitching investors or not, if you could just do the mental uh, practice of being like, if I was going to stand up in front of the sharks and all of America and talk about my brand and get people to care, what would I say? What would not get me ripped apart? You know, like what would, and I think it was such a good practice for us, especially that early, trying to get our elevator pitch down, trying to get our beats down and really knowing the guts of your company, because if you're going to stand up there in front of the sharks, like you got to know it all. And so I think it was like a really helpful crash course in being like, we need to know, like, there's no sloppiness here. We have to, we had to really tighten everything up. Um, and yeah, so I think like even just putting yourself through the mental practice of like, if I was going to be on Shark Tank, you know, what would I need to know is, is really great for any entrepreneur. And, and for our listeners who may not have had a chance to watch the episode, do you want to give us a quick recap? Like what went down? How did, how'd it go? <laughs> 
<laughs> so it was great. We went on there. We did our pitch. Um, we actually got two offers. We got an offer from Mark Cuban and an offer from Kevin O'Leary, and we turned them down. So we went on there. You know, there's like all these different strategies when you're going on Shark Tank. Like, what are you going to do? And so we went on there with what was a very fair, I mean, to the point where I would say like it was a sharky valuation. Like we had already done 1.2 million in sales in like, you know, not even a year. And so we were like, you know, our, and honestly, looking back, I was like, that would have been such a good deal for them. Like it was like, like what we asked for was so friendly, but you know, it's the sharks and they love to negotiate and we just didn't leave room for negotiation. It was kind of like, this is going to be a partnership. I didn't want to try to you know, screw you. I didn't leave much, you know, it was like, let's start a friendship or a partnership type thing. And so we actually ended up, you know, turning them both down, but all in great spirits. They were incredibly complimentary. Honestly, I couldn't, I couldn't believe how, when we, when we like left um, the Shark Tank set, um, my co-founder and I were just kind of like, are they like always that nice? Like, is this like, what was that? Like, did we just get like totally punked? Like that was like very complimentary. I mean, we, I, I didn't even think it was going to air, you know? And so it was, they were very, very, um, very supportive. And we just couldn't get the numbers. And sometimes that's what it is in business. You got to walk away. So that's what we did. And and what was the, well, two questions about um, going back to Shark Tank. One, um, what was the process like actually as, uh, you know, an entrepreneur had started a business, like actually getting onto Shark Tank? Uh, what was that like? So it there's kind of there's a bunch of different paths to get on Shark Tank from what I understand. And so for us, because we had a viral video, there is actually a casting department for Shark Tank and they had reached out to us. And so they already tell you just because we reach out to you does not mean that you have a better or worse chance of getting on. Um, but this is kind of, you know, we, we, they are always actively casting. And so from that, you have to send in your, you know, your tapes. And it's actually quite a long process. And I think what's really interesting is when you're going through the casting process, and when you're shooting the show, you are legitimately running your business. Like I was there like on the lot, like we're about to go on on set and I'm like talking to our manufacturer because they have like they're having an issue on the line you know and I'm like this is you know like there's no like um you know like let me pause my business so I can go shoot this tv show like you know every single entrepreneur that's on that show is also running their business at the same time and so it it, it made me have even more respect for the people who are going on there um just because it really is like it's a lot um but it, it, it's really fun so you know you you shoot and there you like it's 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 intense as you expect you get one shot that's it and that's serious and then it's over and you wake up the next day and like for me after like saying no to mark and kevin waking up and being like was that the right call like is my company gonna tank tomorrow like what have i just done um you know and then luckily i had like about 30 seconds of like oh my god did i make the right call and then it was just kind of like absolutely i did like that was like you know like after we ended up just continuing having the growth that we did and just continuing going and just being like okay you know it i'm glad that i i stuck with my my guns like we had like my co-founder and i had come to a number that we were gonna have to say no to if they if we couldn't get there and we did and i was like that's something too you know i would say in business as well like you kind of sometimes you get really like turned around and I wanted to make sure that we knew no matter what the numbers that we were going to stick to, no matter how turned around we got up on stage, the lights, the pressure, the adrenaline, we knew what we wanted when, when we were not on stage, when we were sane human beings before we were shooting Shark Tank. And I was like, we didn't hit that number. We got to say no, you know, like, and it, it sucks and it's scary, but we got to say no. And we did. And it was the right call. It seems like you had a vision for the company since the beginning of the company, because 
you can't say no if if you just don't have a vision of where you're already convinced that you're going to be at in the future and i think you know for you know founders that might be listening like you know hey you know you're going to get a partnership with mark cuban these people have distribution um way beyond distribution that you think you might be able to get but um when you have a vision uh that's what's going to let you you know stick to your guns as as you did and it seems like you had that from the very early days yeah that's it yeah thanks ramon and so, yeah yeah and ownership and control has always been very very important being able to make the counterintuitive choices business choices that we know will pay off but would be really hard to explain to an investor <laughs> and so that was something as well one thing i want to tie that to is that that's because you built a business scratching your own itch you didn't build a business because it was you know a hot market you know as uh, like you know, DTC, CPG blowing up, e-commerce, right time. Um, it was because you were scratching your own itch for sure. Yeah, that's exactly it. And I'd be doing this regardless. And that's how I felt about Byte from the very beginning. It didn't matter. Like it, it literally didn't matter if I would have, if we would have gone to 10,000 or, you know, we're like well past 10 million, you know, it's 10 million. It doesn't matter. It, I would be doing this regardless. And I think that's, um, that it, it helps a lot with direction. That's really I never thought about it, Ramon, but you're totally right. Yeah. Um, Lindsay, last question about Shark Tank. Uh, so after you film, right, there's got to be some time where the show actually goes into production. You've already said no, um, but they're producing the show between the time that you were recording and the time that they air it. So what's that delta in terms of time? And then what's the implication of like when they're actually running the show live? How is that affecting and impacting your business and the attention that it's bringing to it? Yeah, all great questions. So it depends for every brand the difference, right? Of like from, you know, when you air or when you shoot and when you air. It, it totally depends. Like there are like powers that be that are way more like understanding than I do of like what episodes are going to go where and, and how they're going to do it. So, you know, you don't know if your episode's going to air. They are, they tell you that straight up. Like you don't know. There's no guarantees. You could have gotten all the way through, like made your set, done your shoot, blind, flown to LA, done the whole thing, and then it doesn't even air, right? There's always a chance that could happen especially because we didn't take a deal there was a very real chance that was going to happen especially because they were so nice there was no drama there was no tears you know i was like oh no we're not gonna air um so that was like very that's very true um i think for us like i don't even remember the time but like i know we shot in 2019 and we didn't air until 2020 so there was a big difference between um when we were gonna when we shot and when we aired and I would say like the Shark Tank bump is a real thing. Like it is definitely, you know, we, it was our episode actually aired uh, the, the week that uh, COVID took over the news cycle in, in the US. So it was, um, you know, a really, really crazy time, but we, we didn't have a wrap party. You know, it was, no one was coming over, obviously that was the thing. So we all watched it on Skype, um, but it's like, or like on, on a Zoom or whatever, whatever it was, whatever video thing we were on. And um, it's, it, and it was real, we had our website up and we we're watching all the visitors come on and we we're watching everything go up and we had a really great sales day. Um, but I think, you know, for some businesses, it, it could make their business. But for us, like we had videos go viral, like we had a Business Insider video go viral. We had all these different videos. So like that and that was like our brand next to a video that gets the same amount of viewership as an entire TV show. Right. So it's like for us, it was like it was amazing, but we expected it and we were ready for it. And uh, yeah, it was great, but definitely, definitely didn't make or break our business in any way. 
No, um, that's that's awesome in, in terms of like how you guys were able to plan and also just thinking about it in terms of like saying, hey, you know, they're doing a, we're, we're, we get a forum to be able to tell our story. A bunch of people are going to be able to see it. But in reality, the viewership and the impressions that that's going to make isn't so different than what we're able to garner through, um, you know, some of our other channels. Right. So I think that's a yeah. great seg segue into the next question that I'd have in terms of like how you guys think about, um, you know, customer acquisition and education around introducing new people into the world of Byte um, outside of just Shark Tank. So what are some of the channels mm -hmm. that you've relied on um, heavily? What, and what are some of the like creative strategies too that you've been able to employ to convey um, your new product to, to a new customer? Yeah, that's great. So we, I think like there has never been a better time to have a business. Like there are so many different ways that you could talk to people, whether you're going to be, you know, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Twitch, like in-person events, like, you know, experiential, everybody wants experiential. Like there are so many different ways and people are more receptive to talking to brands today than ever before. Um, and I think that if you're a brand and you're selling especially online. And if you're not really prioritizing that close relationship with a customer, you're just like leaving so much on the table. You're not even just leaving money on the table. You're leaving like the ability to really build a brand that people have really high affinity for. And so I think, you know, something that we do, we try to get on everything really early. So, you know, whether we weren't on Facebook or Instagram very early, but that's because they had been around for forever. But like we were on TikTok before other brands were on it. We were on, you know, like we're, we've experimented with Twitch. We're always constantly, you know, Pinterest, like we're always looking for where, where we can get our message out because it's not just about the brand right like the whole reason that we exist is to have people really truly rethink their daily routines in a more sustainable and healthy way so there are so many there's so much that we want to be able to say and in different ways to say it and so it's a really um you know and for me with a media background like this is just something that i like i'm constantly kind of looking and and, and challenging trying to see what's new what's next um you know i think that it's it's been um, you know, Facebook and Instagram are great. And I think TikTok is also great. Um, but I think even like I spend, and this has been the case for, for a very long time, at least an hour every Friday. Um, sometimes I have to push, but usually every Friday talking to our customers. And we set up a call with someone that emailed in with a complaint from our email and someone who's a fan on social media. And I get on there and I ask them questions and I'm like, what do you think about How'd you hear about us? You know, all these different things, because like, no matter what we get, no matter what data we can get, no matter whatever, nothing is as good as being able to talk to your customers every week and see what's on their mind, what's changing and what they think. Earlier, something about going to events and in the very early days, um, I, I forgot the details, but can you share about, you know, how did you get those first hundred customers? Was it at those conferences and events that you would go to? And, you know, you mentioned you would pitch them your product one by one. Like, how did you get that first, you know, hundred or 1000 customers? Don't scale thing. Yeah, that, that was definitely there. Um, so I would go to vegan events, travel events and zero waste events in LA. So whatever I could find um, through a friend or through Instagram and I would show up and I would literally like have to get over my mental block of being totally terrified to do this. And I would walk up to, I'd be like, that person's a blogger or that person's an Instagram or whatever. And I'd be like, hi, I'm Lindsay. My company is Bite. We make plastic free toothpaste and like it's vegan and cruelty free. And I would love to give you a sample. And I would like feel so stupid, but I'd be 
like, I just need to get this done. Like just get the bottle in this person's hand and run away, you know? And so, and I would just do it over and over and over again. And some people would be like, why? I don't understand. Or like, what? And I would just be like, just do it. And it was really helpful too, because I got the messaging down, right? So like if I said something and like all of a sudden it was just like a blank stare looking back at me, I was like, that was not how to do this, you know? And so I would change the message and I would go to somebody else and I would say something similar, but a little different. And then if they like kind of understood a little bit more, I was like, okay, good. Okay. Then I go to somebody else and I would do the same thing. And like, I just saw it as like this testing ground of being like, and then finally I'd be like, okay, I have the message. Like I'm not getting the blank stares anymore. And then I could go up to more people, hand out more bottles. And it was terrifying. It sucked. Like it was exhausting, but I learned so much, you know, and that's the type of stuff that we then took to Instagram. Cause then when I had an Instagram, it was like, I already know what to say. I know what's not going to be blank stares, you know? And so that, that's exactly, I mean, there is nothing like in person. It's the best. I saw something or recently from the CEO of Spanx. I forgot where her name was. So I, I oh, really she's like Sarah Blakely. Yeah. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I really like Jesse Isler, um, her, her husband, and they were like doing a challenge of like getting Instagram followers or something. She was like building up, building up her own brand. And she went, she was at the airport and she was asking random people, I need a follower. Can you follow me? And I'm like, damn, like that's that hustle from day one that, you know, you're talking about like walking up to a random person and saying, Hey, can, here, try my product. Like at the end of it, when you ask yourself, what's the worst that could possibly happen? You know, nothing terrible is, is going to happen out of it. And there's only upside. Anyone who's listening, who's like, I could not do that. Like, I could not do that. Like, I could not do that. That is like my version of hell. Like that is terrible. Like that is terrifying. But the way that I would get over it is like, I would put myself in this mindset and I'd be like, it's my job. It's my job. That's all it is. It's just a job, you know? And I'd be like, this is my job. Just go up there and do it. And if they say no, it's just like if you're, you know, a waiter, like if I'm a server and I'm like, do you want this cocktail? And they're like, no. And I'm like, okay, cool. You know, it's like, why does it need to be this like really crazy thing? And so I was like, it's my job. And that's how I got over it. But exactly thinking what's the worst could happen? They laugh. Who cares? You get over it, you know? So, yeah. But no one likes to do it, just so everyone knows. Anyone listening, no one's like, yeah, I really right. want to go up and put myself up for rejection. Like, that's the yeah, worst. Exactly. But you do it because it's worth it, you know? Yeah. No, you have to do it. And it also goes to show how much you actually, like, care about your brand. Because, like, if you are if you really care about what you're doing, you would be willing to put yourself in, um, you know, a challenging place that makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable to, like, to bet on yourself. So... Um, I think that's the other thing. It's like when you have conviction, something and belief in yourself, it's not going to feel great, but, um, putting yourself, I'm sure even for you guys, like going on shark tank, you knew it was going to be great, but you, you were like, you were probably like, yeah, I'm about to get grilled in front of all of America, but you know, you're willing to do it. So that just goes to show, um, the caring and the passion that you have for the brand, which I think is a trait that all entrepreneurs should, um, really kind of take to heart vulnerable right like if you want to be an entrepreneur you just know you have to you know have to be willing to be be vulnerable um even with your own team right like as you it's just there's always faces and levels to the same principle of being vulnerable even as you scale your team and then you start hiring people that are way smarter than you like that's intimidating in the early days like you know you're kind of teaching people the ropes and then all of a sudden you start hiring people that are teaching you the ropes and you're like whoa you know this person's actually way smarter than I am. Um, and so, yeah, it's all levels. 100%. 100. Um, That's exactly it. Yeah. Lindsay, uh, so let's take one step back um, from before you were actually approaching different people in LA with product in hand being like, hey, try, try this out. So 
Um, I know you said you were flying around on airplanes. You're like, hey, there's got to be a better way. And then you're like, I want to build something, right? And I want to change the form factor. And there's probably going to be some chemistry involved. And we're going to try to figure this out. So what was that process like for you um, early on? How did you do it? Were, were you already set in your mind on the idea of like, let's turn toothpaste into mints? Or were you just more like, let's find a solution to not have this usable waste and see what our options are. So step one, what was the thought process? And step two, how did you actually go about finding the people and team to actually put this product into production? Yeah, okay, so the first thing, no, I did abs I absolutely did not want them to be tablets because if it was a tablet, then I needed to learn how to tablet and I had to buy a tableting machine and the minimum cost for that was $1,000. And I was like, this is a hobby at this point. Like I'm literally just trying to figure out how I can get plastic out of the equation of my daily life with this, tooth with this product, right? So I was like, I do not want to spend $1,000 and I do not want to have to learn how to tablet. So I tried everything that didn't work. Um, I tried making these, like, I tried making a ball of like powder with some coconut oil and like dipping it in xylitol and like baking it in my toaster oven and I set the toaster oven on fire and I was like this is a hazard I need to stop being cheap and so then it was like okay oh sorry I just got a um I need to put on my focus um so yeah so it was a so sorry I'll uh <laughs> I, I had a text come in while I was trying to chat um so yeah, it was basically like I set this toaster oven on fire. I was like, this is a hazard. I need to uh, rethink this this uh, form factor. And so then it was the beginning of being like, how do I make it? How do I make a tablet? Right. So it was I had to buy a tableting machine. I had to learn how to, to do all of this. And it's one of those things that I'm sure like any hobby that a lot of people have that starts to kind of get expensive is like you, you buy one thing or you take one class and then you're buying the next thing and you're taking another class and the next thing you know, you're like, it's like the sunk cost fallacy. Like I just put a bunch in here. I need to keep going. And so there were definitely times where I was like, why am I doing this? Like, why am I spending my nights and weekends on this? But I was like, well, I already put, you know, like this much money in and I bought these ingredients and I spent this much time. I might as well just try to get there. You know, I just need to get there. I need to get something that I am like happy with. And so I would just put on music and like, and I was obviously incredibly passionate about plastic. So whenever it was like about getting rid of plastic. So whenever I started getting, um, you know, really discouraged, I would watch a documentary. I would watch, you know, Plastic Ocean um, or some sort of thing. And it would just totally reignite why I was trying to do this. And so that was, I kind of used like this different, like, you know, sometimes it was drink a glass of wine, you know, listen to music and keep working. And sometimes it was like, watch a documentary, cry my eyes out, get back to work, you know? And it was kind of like, which one's going to work tonight? And, uh, and I just kept going. And yeah, I think that's, that was definitely the difference in the beginning because there's no, there's no uh, reward in the beginning. And it's very, very hard. And you think something's going to take like step one, step two, but what you don't realize is there's like 57 other steps, like A, B, C, D, like six different colors. And like before you even get to the step two. Um, and so I think that was, you know, figuring out whatever it is to motivate you in the beginning is just so important. Um, yeah. Your biggest like motivational drivers, like, you know, when you had those internal conversations during the hard times, like why, what were your biggest whys? Um, yeah, definitely plastic and and being cruelty free. So when I found out like about plastic, you know, ba you know, microplastics being in our water, plastic just taking over our ecosystem, you know, watching plastic ocean, just like literally crying my eyes out. Like the, that is that. 
And then I'm longtime vegan. So animal testing, the fact that most commercial toothpaste is tested on animals and like there's absolutely no reason for it, but they, they basically to, to test a regular fluoride toothpaste, like, or yeah, regular fluoride toothpaste on the market, they actually, they brush rats teeth and then they kill them and they cut their jaws out and they put it under a microscope. And I was like, this is crazy to me. I want nothing to do with this. I need to make this work, <laughs> you know? And so those are the types of, I mean, it sounds kind of bad. It's like a, it's a negative motivation, but like, I never really cared. I never saw myself as an entrepreneur. I am learning as I go. That is, I am constantly reading books. I'm constantly talking about other entrepreneurs. I'm constantly, you know, figuring this out as I go. And I wasn't really motivated by money. I never really cared. I was a surf instructor, snowboard instructor, and TV producer in reality. We don't make much money in, in, in unscripted. Like that was not a motive factor either. Um, and so it was really just like, this needs to exist. Why aren't we doing it this way? Um, and that, that's still 100%. And I'm also very competitive. So once I get into something, I want to win. <laughs> so I guess those are, that's kind of across the board, different motivations. Otherwise, like, you know, if you're not challenging yourself, how is life fun? You know, you, you have to constantly be challenging yourself for, and, and striving for that next level. Stay driven. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I feel like everybody who has a business has to be like, and not like unhealthy competitive, but like, I feel like a lot of us have backgrounds in sports or something like that, just because constantly wanting to better yourself, just the, the, the constant having to evolve as someone who's running a business, if you're not really into that, like it's going to get old really fast. And actually, as you mentioned that, that reminded me of like the conversation of talking with investors in Shark Tank. Like, did you, you know, you bootstrapped your business. Um, you know, I was born, I, you know, I've raised capital for Trend, but like I was born and raised in the Caribbean. I had, I moved to US and I didn't know what even venture capitalists were. So it was like purely learning as I went. And so for yourself, like, you know, you were bootstrapping it. Did you ever end up racing after Shark Tank or did you just keep riding the wave? Yeah, kept riding the wave. We've been profitable since, you know, day one because we had to be started with $6,000 savings and we've just been profitable ever since. So I, I say the investors coming to you. Yeah. In yeah. my inbox. And yeah, it's and it's nice, you know, it's very nice. And it's nice to know if we ever did want to, you know, raise and try to blow blow this thing up, then we could. But it's like I like growing sustainably, like not just from an eco-friendly way, but also from a don't turn your balance sheet upside down, you know, like let's just keep growing to, you know, in a really um sustainable way, you know. And so we we put money in ads, we'd get more money back. You know, we're, I say we're customer funded because that's what we are. So when our customers buy something from us, like it's literally keeping us on business. We're not, you know, we don't have, you know, millions and millions in the bank from some VC who's whispering in our ear to put out, you know, to, to make compromises that I don't want to make, you know? And so I think that we've been able to really do things um, in a way that other companies, I feel like maybe were would have been pressured not to. Like we we use really expensive ingredients. We you know use glass, which is more expensive than plastic. Or in you know it, there, we are we went um, palm oil free. Going palm oil free totally messed with our whole supply chain. Like it you know and it also killed our margin for a very small amount of time. But I knew that it would be the right call in the long term. But if I would have had to get on a call with like you know investors or you know I had someone else's money that I was playing you know on the table, I don't know if I would have you know, I might've made different decisions. So I've been feeling really lucky and I think we're, yeah. And I have no, I have no um, 
reason to raise anytime soon. So. No, Lindsay, that's, that's such a, I think that's a really important story for a lot of like the founders out here to hear, because there are obviously a ton of different founders that are building very successful businesses in the D to C CPG sort of landscape that are starting out. They're raising a lot of capital. They have a lot of resources at their disposal to pour into their business at the early stage based on just early signs of traction and product market fit. But just for people to know that like you can literally build out a massive, um, D2C operation based off of coming up with a great product with a little bit of innovation um, and some serious hustle and commitment and caring about your customers and just continuing to grow organically. So I think that's a very important message that people need to hear. Um, and then the next question I'd have um, around how you guys are, are thinking about products, what, what striped me instantly and in just like looking at your site is like, you you guys have really redefined a lot of the different form factors of these common products in almost every single one of your categories. So in terms of your toothpaste, like we already talked about, it, those, that's not a tube of toothpaste. It's like actually the mints. Same thing for mouth mouthwash. Um, that one, that's also exciting because like the form factor of mouthwash is also kind of gross. It just kind of strips all over the bottle. And I know. Um, and there's so <laughs> much dye in it. It's disgusting. Like why does it need to be green or blue? It makes zero. I'm like, this makes no, how come no one has said something about this? It doesn't make any sense. So, so is that kind of part of like the ethos of what you're doing? Obviously we have the, the mission part, which is crucial about like sustainability, green products, um, vegan friendly, all this sort of stuff. But is there like a hint of like, let's like buck the trends of, um, what the old people have done and like, let's see different ways we can like reimagine these like common, um, everyday household products. Is that kind of part of your thinking? And I think, you know, I think it's less about kind of bucking the trend and it's more about just like common sense. I think that if you just like look at the products we're using on a daily basis and you take a step back from what we've been, you know, totally like force fed, you're like, wait, none of this makes sense. Like why is mouth, like why is mouthwash, it, it, you know, in have like this kind of dye and why does it need to be wet? Like you could just take the active ingredients and put it in a tablet and then use water from your tap. And it can be just as icy without any of, you know, and just as refreshing and have all of the benefits of mouthwash without the preservatives and dyes, you know, kind of the same, the same playbook that we did with toothpaste. And I think same with toothbrushes. So we have a bamboo toothbrush and floss. They're both plastic free. Like why do they need to be plastic? There's like no reason you're, you know, you're having to change these things out on a regular basis. Why use a material that literally is meant to last forever when this is, this is a product, our toothbrush is only supposed to last three months, you know, three to four months. And so I think it's kind of looking at being like, what actually makes sense here? And then, you know, we, our deodorant is the, well, actually, the, so then we have also plastic-free whitening gel. So for me, that was like, I like whitening gel. I had used whitening strips before, and, you know, I know that they're not like the best ingredients, but I was like, I like having white teeth, but I don't want to use plastic. I don't want to use all the crap that's in, you know, most whitening gel. So how could we make it better? And so it was like, wait, why, why does it need to be on a strip? Why don't we put it in a glass jar and then use the same material that we made our bamboo toothbrush from and then have that be the applicator? And so it's kind of just like looking at things being like, what would make the most sense here? And then be like, oh, right, we can do that. So one of, you know, we released our deodorant um, in 2019. It was, the, or sorry, in, uh, in September of last year. And it was the, it's the first deodorant to have a compostable refill that's entirely plastic free. And for me, I had been using, you know, 
uh, zero waste deodorant for a really long time. And it's, it's, it was always in the cardboard tube. And by, for someone who's using that every single day, it gets like super soggy and disgusting halfway through. And I'm like, why, why are we okay with this? Like, why are we just like using these? I couldn't even get the lid back on. And I was just like, wait, this is like the, the most common way of, you know, having these, this plastic free product and it kind of sucks. So how would we make it better? Um, and so that's, you know, what we ended up doing was putting, basically taking a, essentially what would be a, the cardboard applicator, putting it into way better form factor so you can actually get your fingers up it. Because that was the other thing too, is like these like tower, this like long skinny, I don't know if you guys have seen these before, because I know this is a podcast, so you're not seeing my hand gestures, but like the, if you, if you try to buy plastic free deodorant in a store, it's going to be this long skinny cylinder that you can only get one finger up and it's like impossible to use. <laughs> like I'm like, what is happening here? And so what we did is we, we, flattened it out. We made it so you can actually push it up from the bottom without having to like, you know, use your point, just your pointer finger. And it's just a way more pleasant experience. And then we put it in this beautiful, like mirror, um, mirror reflective case. So you actually want to see it and you don't get soggy, uh, you know, like the, it doesn't get soggy. And so that's, you know, those are the types of things where I'm just like, why can't someone just take a step back and think of like, what's a better way to do it? Um, and so that's, that's why I talk to our customers. That's what I spend my time on, you know, and that's, that's where we go. Well, sorry. No, last thing, Ramon, and then, and then you jump in. I was going to say like, I think a really cool place for you, for you guys to start. It's like, you know, when you walk into like a bathroom and you open up the drawer and you're like, there's like a bunch of stuff in the drawer and you're like, Ooh, this feels kind of gross. I feel like it's, that's just an opportunity for you. You just open up the bathroom drawer and you're like, how can I make a world in which all the products in here, like in their long form existence, just play nicely. And like, now it's a neat bathroom drawer, you know? That's exactly it. Yeah, that's <laughs> the goal. Yeah, with better ingredients and better for the planet. You know, that's the goal. So as I'm looking at this on your website, I'm like, why wouldn't I just get this on a subscription? I need this all the time. So, and like, you know, not only are is these other old products like just a horrible user experience, even the experience of buying it sucks. So like, and, and that alone is, is a huge value add. So I'm curious of how the subscription side of your business um, works and, and how's that going? Yeah. So for script, for us, for subscription, it just made sense. You know, the idea is that it's refillable. Everything that we do is refillable. So we want it to be something where you can just set it and forget it. Your toothpaste is going to be coming every four months. You open your little bag, you pour it into your, um, you know, your, your jar and you're good to go. And so I think same with deodorant, we can, we can really estimate, you know, down to at least the few weeks, how long this is going to last you. And so then once we, if we know that you're going to be refilling it into your little case, we're just going to send it with you with your toothpaste and it just goes, it's better for the planet. It can be an all one shipment. We actually ship carbon neutral. We pay to offset anything that we can't already get rid of. And so we're like really trying to make it where it's just like, no-brainer, easier for you, better for the planet, better for your body, and you don't have to think about it, you know? And so we actually, um, I was just thinking as we were talking about the new products, so we have a new product that's going to be launched by the time this podcast comes out that um, will also be on subscription. And so basically, I can show you guys, it's, this is our body bomb, and it's been in my bag, which is why it looks like, so the idea, so if you're, you guys can't say this, but you guys, uh, Ramon and Blaine can, it's, yeah, yeah, it's, um, it's the same case as our deodorant case, but we've made this gold. 
world. So it's just, I mean, like, honestly, it's like, so it's like, so beautiful. I, I feel like I was just like, yes, I'm so excited to get this out. Um, and inside of it is a super concentrated body balm. And so it's made so if you want to use it to moisturize your hands on the go, you can put it on your body when you get out of the shower. It has a uh, squalene, um, hyaluronic acid, and vitamin E, as well as rosehip oil. It's made with all like, like literally when I was choosing the ingredients for this, it was like the highest quality ones I could find. Like this is the type of stuff you put on your face, but it's for your whole body because skin matters everywhere, no matter where it is, it's not just your face. And uh, and it was, this is like our first really, um, like our a product that we're getting into kind of body care and, you know, really um, self-care. And I, I'm like super, super excited. So this will be launched by the time this is out. But this is something too, where I feel like, you know, we, I like lotion bottles are a disaster. Like the pumps are not uh, recyclable and the bottles themselves rarely get recycled. You have to rinse them and put them in the recycling bin. So it's like, how do we get plastic out of the equation? And the crazy thing about this is it looks tiny, but most moisturizers are 80% water. So this is basically, you know, uh, the super, super concentrated, like you can use a tiny little bit and it's just going to be way better than, you know, the 80% water stuff that you're getting out of a pump. So those are the types of things where I was like going through those. I had tried you know, not only was I, you know, I tried every zero waste option out there, like the lotion bars, the this, and they were like getting, you know, and I was like, this all sucks. And I was like, how do I make it better? And that's kind of what we came up with. So that's, that's exciting. You definitely are competitive and like challenging yourself. Because again, this is, you know, another kind of product that that hasn't been done before. So what kind of advice do you have for, you know, on people that want to become entrepreneurs that have a dream of building something that doesn't yet exist out there um and think that like you know they have to give in to something like drop shipping like you know i i want we want to push people to like do something different like build something go for it that doesn't exist so um how like what advice do you have to take those first daunting steps of, of building something that doesn't exist I think the best thing you could possibly do is build something that doesn't exist. And the reason is, is because there are so many people out there, they are online and you can just start niche. You know, for us, it's like, yeah, okay, we're big now, but we were not. We were a weird little toothpaste tablet at the beginning. And we specifically targeted vegan, zero waste people because that is what I was and that is what I knew. And I didn't know at the time that I was targeting this niche market. I was just like, this is who, these are who will buy my product. And so I would say, Think of a product that you really believe in, that you really think solves a problem that's very real in your life, and just target that person. Target you. Find them. Where would you be? You know, I was at Vegan Zero Waste events. Okay, go there and talk to them. And then I would say start as small as you possibly can. You know, keep your day job. I kept my job as a TV producer until I was literally forced to go full time on Bite because I didn't want to have to make any compromise. I didn't want to add any stress to, um, you know, building this kind of baby bird of a company. But I would say, you know, if you're starting and you have an idea and it hasn't been done before, that is the best place to be because then, and especially with something that's very personal to you, you know where you are, where would you find yourself? Go find yourself, go talk to yourself and just keep, you know, trying to get more and more people and then let it expand. Um, you know, there's the idea of kind of trying to boil the ocean, like making a, making a product that's good for everybody, but then you, how are you going to get everybody? You can't get everybody. So start really, really niche, really targeted, and then expand out and, you know, kind of expand the product offering as, as you, as you grow. So, yeah. Yeah, Lindsay, Lindsay <laughs> I, I think the, the big, the big takeaway that I have, and I think that the listeners should have as well is one, obviously starting niche with an audience, get a couple people, 
um, into your product, but also like think, I know it's like cliche, think outside of the box, but like what you've really demonstrated is you can take all these products that people have lived with every single day. They've had the same form factor forever and you just like turned all of them on their head. So I think if you, if, and, and you say, oh, here, like, check me out. I already have a new one to show you guys that we're, we're rolling out, uh, you know, next week. So um, I think really thinking about like the user experience of products, why are they the way they are? Can you build something for whether it's a niche audience or not that would love your new, in, new interpretation of what you're building and then scale up. And the thing that I like about your guys' space is you've done it in a space where it has everyday, everyday utility, right? These are all products too that are part of routine. Um, and even as you think about subscription in a toothpaste, like I'm imagining if I were to subscribe for a, like a tube of toothpaste, that would probably be difficult. Cause it's like, yeah, you could say on average, this toothpaste is going to take like this many times to they're like this long to run out. But for you guys, you've bite sized the toothpaste. So it's like, you should be brushing your teeth probably like twice a day, every day. So we can probably pretty accurately calculate when you're going to be running out of product. So it's really cool to see when those sort of opportunities come together where like if you're doing a subscription offering, you're not like saying you don't have a customer being like, oh my God, I have so much toothpaste. I don't know what to do with it. You're able to say, oh, we've got our stuff and we know you're going to need it now. And you're actually providing a ton of value in your subscription offering. So all these sort of things ultimately come together. And I think you guys are doing an awesome job. Um, and I know me, myself and Ramon, we've had such a good time talking to you and learning all these different insights. And I'm, I'm just super pumped to, to get rid of the, the toothpaste tubes that I've got in my bathroom. Cause those are gross. Yes. Kick them, kick them out. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Them Use them first. And then, yeah, <laughs> and, then yeah. and then there you go. <laughs> awesome. awesome. Thank well, you. Um, yeah, I mean, we're excited for your launch um, of the new product. I'm sure it's going to be just as successful, if not more, um, than than your previous product. And I'm sure that's not going to be your last. And you're going to keep innovating in your in your space. It seems like that's your calling to, you know, just just make these product experiences better for for people to take better care of themselves and those around them. So super excited to keep following along your journey. Um, and then you know. Parting words, like any parting words you have for founders or where can people keep up with you and Byte, any socials, websites, etc. Yeah, love it. So I think, yeah, like the ending words would just be, I mean, first of all, thanks so much for for like listening. And I hope that this was helpful. Um, and just to kind of understand that all, our, all of our daily habits really do add up. And it, like, not, you know, I say that from being a, you know, having a company that is about replacing plastic and things that aren't as good for our bodies from our daily routine, but also like for you as a founder, you know, those little habits that you're doing, the little, the, the right choices that you're making, waking up a little earlier every day, you know, putting a little bit more work in, like all of that adds up and it's all so, so, so important. So um, that would be something that I would say. And then if you want to, yeah, so we're, we're bite, we're trybite.com or bite.co <laughs> and uh, on, we're on Instagram, just at bite. And uh, yeah, I would love, we're constantly sharing things like how to be more uh, sustainable, how to be more eco-friendly um, and, and like, you know, all of our new products and everything. So yeah, check us out, trybite.com. And yeah, I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me on, Ramon and Blaine. This was really, really fun. Awesome. Thanks so much, Lindsay. Have a good one. Thanks. You Bye. too.